All right, so today we're starting a series called Bless. And what this whole series is about is helping you learn how to live out the calling that God has placed in your life. That calling not to just be somebody who comes and attends a church service, but realizes I'm a part of a church and i got to take up my role and responsibility of building this thing. So each week, and I'm, I'm praying that you don't miss any of these, we're going to walk through this acronym, BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. And what I hope happens in here is you begin to realize, oh man, this whole making disciples thing isn't as hard as I made it, and now I don't have any excuses. Sound like a plan? Cool. Let's have some fun. Um, let's play a game. This game is called Guess That Tagline. All right, you ready? Taste the rainbow. Skittles. Skittles, as my uh, three-year-old calls them. Skittles. Um, Skittles. Taste the rainbow. Like a good neighbor. Look at you guys. Give the people online some time to get this next one, okay? You ready? America runs on? Duncan. Good job. Okay. Now, we know those taglines. They're, they're easy to remember. They're, they're, they're obvious. You know, even if I said my pleasure, your mind goes to Chick-fil-A. All right. So we know these types of things that, that give this identifying factor to a brand or a company or even a product like Skittles. But what about the church? And not MCC as a church, but like the church church, like capital C church. Like if we had something that was bigger than a tagline or big and bigger than a mission, like what would be that one thing that you would say, hey, that's that phrase that identifies who they are, what they stand for, and what they're about. In the same way that, you know, you could say Nike and you'd go, just do it. What would it be for the church, like the church? See, a lot of times, you know, we, what is it? What is it? Well, we think, uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, have fun. I don't I don't. Love God, I don't, we don't know. I want to give us today what I think Jesus would have said. It's bigger than a tagline. It's bigger than a slogan. But it's my mission for my church. If you got a Bible, it's in Matthew chapter 28. I want to show it to you. Because I think going here will help you understand your identity and your role and who you are in Christ. A lot of people in this room, you struggle with identity crisis. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you're here for. You wonder what's the point of this whole thing. I think Jesus gives us some clues in Matthew 28. To set this up, Jesus has gone to the cross. He's risen from the grave. He showed up to his disciples. He showed them the scars in his hands. He proved to them that he wasn't a ghost. He ate some fish to show them the real deal. And he's getting ready to go into heaven. And in his parting words, he says this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Which is Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm not just a good guy who should maybe pay attention to. That was his way of saying, I am the biggest of big deals. And I have all authority. So what I'm getting ready to tell you is not optional. It's a command. Because I have all authority. And then this, if there ever was a tagline, a slogan, or even bigger than that, a mission for us as a church, it is these words right here in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples. So again, if you said Christians are the church, what would our, what our, what's our mission? It's go, make disciples. That is our mission. That's why we're here. That's why your butt is in a seat. At the end of the day, it's go, make disciples. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Now, I've been a pastor for a little bit of time. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like go make disciples when you think of who you are and your identity and what God has called you to do. Because sometimes 
it's really easy to confuse this thing that we do in here and say this, this building that we come to or this service that we get onto, like I'm going to get online at church today or I'm going to church today. But at the end of the day, this is a building. We are the church. We are the church. And in regards to go make disciples, most of us, like if we really had to define what our lives are like and what like if we lived out our, our Christianity, like if we put it on paper, what is it really? It's not go make disciples. It's come be discipled. So I come into this place that I identify as the church and they disciple me. And that's kind of where it ends. Now, again, that's sometimes best case scenario. Unfortunately, oftentimes it comes as come be taught. And we're not really even discipled. We're just given some lessons. We have a place for our kids to learn some things. And then the worst of the worst case scenario, which in a county like ours that is over, I wouldn't say overly, that is definitely saturated with churches. Every corner. They're all over the place. And you can pick yours. Like some of you here today because you're trying to pick one. That's awesome. You're logging in today because you're trying to pick one. But I want you to see how far cry it is from go make disciples to where we unfortunately fall sometime as an American church, which is come be entertained. You got a worship pastor who is on the voice. Come listen to him sing. You, 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 you've got a, a lead pastor who can make good points and make you laugh every now and then. Come be entertained. That's a far cry from go make disciples. But your call, friend, is not come be entertained. Your call is go make disciples. And here's maybe news that you didn't realize. Go make disciples has way more to do with what you do out of this room than what you do in this room. It has way more to do with what you do off of this website than what you do on this website, online friends. And that's, that's what's hard in this strategy. Like when we begin to talk about, well, okay, i got to go make disciples, that's, that's tough. And I, listen, I hear you. It's, it is. It's not a walk in the park. But what I want you to understand, and I ho- hope, hopefully today you, you, something will click, the reason why I feel like so many of us don't do what Jesus called us to do, we don't live out that mission of make disciples, is because we don't understand who we are as a disciple. There's a passage I want to show you that Paul, in the best words I could ever put it, said about our identity in Christ. If you've got a Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 17, and we'll go down through 20. I encourage you, man, if you're coming in person or you're watching this online, start having a Bible with you. There may come a day where we take these things off the screen just so you know what they are and you bring your Bible and your nose is in there and you're just loving it and living it. But for now, they're still up there. So don't feel bad if you don't have one. Um, but man, get in your word. It's the key to life. Here's, here's what this says about your identity. It's who you are. You struggle with self-esteem. You struggle with self-confidence. You struggle with knowing who you are and what your place in life is. Like If you put your faith in, faith in Christ, this is it right here. So don't miss this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which, again, we got to walk through this verse by verse. Pause for a second there. Like, ask yourself the question, am I in Christ? And if you don't know the answer to that question, let's talk today. Let's talk today. 
We can figure that out. We can get to a place where you know that for sure. You're, it's going to end up with you kind of getting a little wet. But we can make sure that that one, you know the answer to that one. Of all, am I in Christ? So if you're here and you're going, I, for those of you who are in Christ, if you would go, am I in Christ? And you answer, yes. All right. Stay, on, stay with us on the path as we continue to walk through this. If you are in Christ, the new creation has come. That means you are now something new. That should be an amen point. I am something new. And I think sometimes we can forget how lost we used to be, how jacked up our life would be had we not been found by Jesus. Now, some of us in this room, you're a little bit older, and so some time has passed. And now you're 70, and you may have forgot what it was like to be an unsaved 17-year-old. But my prayer is that, man, not, not that we remember the, the glory of, of waking up blacked out drunk or any of those types of things or where we remember how lost we were or the mistakes we made, that we glamorize that. But my prayer is that even though we spend deca- decades and decades saved, that we never forget what it was like to be lost. That we, though our sins were as scarlet, were made white as snow by the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. That's what I hope we never forget. That's how we've been made new. Now again, here's, here's the exciting part. He says, new creation has come and the old has gone. Gone. Not in a closet. This fair game for your husband to pull out every now and then. Gone. Not in that God remembers that thing every time you make one more mistake. Gone. It's gone. Now listen, Owen's mama will probably attest to the fact that his old ways of doing things are not gone tomorrow afternoon. (laughs) They're not fully gone. The process of them being gone, though, has begun. And his salvation, like the fact that his soul was headed to a place that was eternally separated from God, that is gone. That soul is now going to be secured and locked and loaded and ready to go, destined for eternity with his heavenly Father because of the decision he made today. He says, the old is gone, the new is here. Now verse 18 is where I want us to lean in about our identity. He says, all this is from God. All this reality that the old is gone and the new has come, all that has happened and has come from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All right, look at that first half of verse 18. The old is gone and the new has come because you have now been reconciled to God in Christ. And most people, most Christians, that verse ends their theology, that verse ends how they live out their faith. They just go, and again, it's awesome. It's amazing to go, I have been reconciled to God. My old, wicked, messed up, jacked up life where I was into that and into him, all that stuff is gone. And now Jesus has made me new and I am actually something that's radically different than I was. And yes, I have mistakes. Yes, I have days where my attitude is just off the charts, wretched. But I am something new. And my Heavenly Father has called me no longer a slave, but a son. And we rejoice in that. But a lot of people put a period right there. And that's where their faith stops. But friends, if that's where our faith ends, we are missing half. And I believe a really, really, really good half of what Jesus has called us to and how he has made us new. Listen to what it goes to next. That second half of verse 18. Let's read the whole thing together so we don't miss it. Verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, didn't stop it there, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now you get that Jesus loves you, took your past, dumped it in the ocean, and gave you a new life. Most of us can go, I can get my mind around that. But then when he says, again, what does it mean to be a Christian? That the old is gone, that the new has come, and you have this ministry of reconciliation. We hear that next part and go, what does that mean? I don't, 
I don't know. That's, I don't, no one's ever explained it. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to live that out. And listen, you will never fully understand the beauty and the magnitude of the first half of verse 18 until you begin to live out that back half of verse 18 that you are a minister of reconciliation. And I want to take some time and explain to you what in the world that means. First of all, he says, you are a minister. Now, some of us in the room are going, bro, you don't know me. I'm not a minister. Um, Listen, if you are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, and this is what you have been given. You've been given it. It's been given to you. The ministry, the Greek word there that is used, this translated ministry, is the word diakonia. It's where we get the term deacon from. Now, raise your hand if you had deacons at the church you grew up in. We don't, we don't necessarily have deacons here. We kind of have acting deacons. Yeah, the guys that you smoke cigarettes in the parking lot, you guys, everybody knows about deacons. Um, we go, we, we're good on that. He's talking about something a little bit different than maybe what context we put deacons in. He's saying, you are a minister. And the way that the Bible defines it, this word, uh, deaconia, is an active service done with a willing and voluntary attitude. An active service done with a willing and voluntary attitude. Now, the reason that many times if we just come into church and we leave church, or we log on to church online and then we leave church online, you're never going to fa- feel like a minister of reconciliation because you are not doing a voluntary act of service to anybody else. You're showing up. And instead of being a minister, you are getting ministered to. And that's where it ends. And it's the church's fault. It's, listen, here, I, we'll own our stuff. I'll own myself as a pastor. That's not on you. That's on us not calling you to what you were destined to be called to. A minister of reconciliation. Now, okay, hopefully we'll get chewing on what does it mean to be a minister? And we're in this ministry of reconciliation that you, my friend, are called into. What kind of ministry is this? It's a ministry of reconciliation. The Greek word there is this word, katalage, and this is what it means. Reconciliation, the result of Christ exactly exchanging His righteousness for our guilt. Okay, I'll pack this a little bit for you. Say you take out a big loan, house, a car, a a nice boat for your pastor, whatever it may be. <laughs> and you owe somebody else money. In order for that account to be reconciled, what has to happen? Payment. It has to be paid off. So this word reconciled doesn't mean that, oh, we're friends now. What this means is there was something that was owed between two people. And those two people, in this case, are a lost sinner and a holy, righteous Savior, Jesus. A lost sinner and a holy, righteous Father God. That's the relationship. And because of our sin, there is owe. We owed Him. But the Bible makes it really clear that our righteousness is as filthy rags to a holy God. There is no amount of righteousness that you could have ever brought in and brought to the table that God would have gone, all right, payment's full, you did it, well done, pat on the back, you get your credit score and heaven goes up or something. That's not how it worked. That's why it says reconciliation is the exact exchange of Jesus' perfect righteousness for your guiltiness. So friend, 
That means as a minister of reconciliation, our role, the call on your life, wherever you find yourself, the call that is bigger than mom, the call that is bigger than dad, the call that is bigger than husband, wife, teacher, whatever job role that you have, is minister of reconciliation. That your call in your life is to live a life in a, such a way that brings people who don't understand and realize yet that they have a debt that is owed, that they come into this reality that they go, man, there is somebody who has paid the price and now I can be back at one. That they realize that because of my sin, I'm a slave to this life of wickedness, deceitfulness, and folly. But through Jesus, all of my sins can be taken care of, paid for in full. And we are the people who get to bring that news to them. That's our identity. That's who we are in Christ. Paul goes on. Hopefully some of this will make this verse land and make more sense to us. Verse 19. Or ministries of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Again, sin separated the world from Christ. God comes in and says, I'm sending Christ to be the bridge so that now I can get connected back to the world through faith in my son Christ. Anybody who puts faith and trust in him will now be able to enter into a saving relationship with me by putting their faith in him, repenting of their sins, allowing him to be the payment for their guilt. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. We think about ambassadors, maybe we think about, you know, the war movies we watch on TV or an ambassador to a foreign nation and that type of thing. And it's usually an elected official who goes into that other country and represents the place that he came from. And they're always elected. But here in this thing, I want you to understand that you are not elected to do this. You are appointed by God and your faith <laughs> is what appointed you. And maybe you didn't realize this. Maybe who the pastor, whoever led you to Christ or that, whatever that person, you didn't realize what you were signing on to. But friend, you signed on to this. And listen, unlike most things that you sign on to and you don't read the fine print, this one actually works in your favor. Because you are called to be an ambassador of Christ, which means, and this is crazy how it is in here, you're God's ambassador, Christ's ambassadors. Listen to that last half of verse 20. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you catch that? You're therefore Christ's ambassador, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now that verse, <clears throat> seriously, should make you a little nervous. Because parents, what that verse means, whether you like it or not, your witness to your child is making an appeal to God. They are understanding and, and beginning to process and think through who God is because of how you are living your life. What he's saying here is we are God ambassadors. And it's as if Christ was making his appeal through you. Now, the sad reality in this is many of you in this room, maybe one of the things that kept you from coming to faith earlier is that people who claimed to be Christians made a really terrible appeal about what God was like and what Christ was like. And one of the reasons there aren't more people in this room and there aren't more people logged on right now watching this online is because of a really poor appeal on Christ's behalf. And so 
my thing that I want you to understand, whether you choose to or not, if you're saying you're in Christ, you're his ambassador. You've got to live that out in a way that makes him seem like the God he really is. And I know you hear this and you're like, man, that's a lot of pressure. And, it, and it's supposed to feel like you can't do it on your own. So that you tap him on the shoulder and you say, Jesus, I cannot be like you. I need your life to live through me. And listen, this whole Christianity thing, I've done it just long enough to realize this. It is not about my ability. Preaching, I've thankfully came to a realization, it's not about my abilities. It's about my availability to lay myself before the throne of God and say, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't change their lives. Nothing that I could say or talk them in or create a really compelling argument is going to lead them into a relationship with you. You have got to awaken a dead heart. My words alone can't do that. And so for you in this room going, man, I don't know how to make disciples. I don't know how to be an ambassador. I don't know how to you know, make a good appeal for Christ or, or, or do these things and live my life out as a minister of reconciliation. Good. It's good that you're going, I, I don't, I don't, that's going to be difficult. That's okay. That's okay. Make yourself available to him. And the first and best way, I believe, to make yourself available to God so that this can happen is in prayer. And that's the first letter of this blessed strategy. It's an acronym that we're going to be walking through for the next five weeks. B is begin with prayer. We begin with prayer because that's what Jesus did. Jesus, as he was getting ready to create this whole movement that was the church of Christ, that was Christianity, what he did before that happened is he spent a night going away and praying before he chose the 12 men who would then take his message and allow that to multiply out and have ripple effects all throughout history to the point where you're sitting in this room. We see that in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. This is what it says. On one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So Jesus goes out. He says, I'm about to start something big. I realize what my God has called me to, to be the forerunner as a, ministry of, a minister of reconciliation, to get people connected back to God. And I know I'm going to need help in this if it's going to go and be bigger than me. And he brings in a group of ragtag guys who no one would have ever picked to change the whole world. And so that should give you some confidence when you feel like you wouldn't be worthy of Jesus picking you. The guys he picked to start it who changed the world and the reason you're in this chair, in this room, or watching this online, it was people who didn't have what it took. And that wasn't so that they would get glory. It was so that God would. You've got to be willing to let that happen. So today... The big challenge I want to invite you into, if you say, hey, man, I want to do this. Like, I I want to be someone who lives my life bigger than just getting up and going to work and coming home and getting up and going to work and coming home and getting up and going to work and coming home and then having the weekend where, and we kind of do, uh, you know, I work, instead of working for somebody else, I work for myself and I run errands and I do these things and I make sandwiches and I cut the yard and do all these things, man. There's got to be more to life than that. Amen. Anybody just realize, man, sometimes you just have these moments where you're like, is this all it is? There's more to it, guys. And I used to think that people didn't make disciples because they just didn't want to. But I found that that's not actually the case. So let's do an experiment. You can hang out with us and do this online as well. If you're in this room, you would say, like, from the bottom of your heart, this is all skate crowd participation here. From the bottom of your heart, you would say, I long to make a disciple. 
Like that whole Bible verse about going to all the world and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them and everything else. Like that's not for pastors. That's for people, people just like you. No Christian should die and not have baptized somebody. Like if you live your whole entire life, you say, I'm a Christian and you die and you never baptize somebody. I'm not saying that was a loss. I'm saying that maybe you left some cookies on the table. Every single person, in regards to your sins, your past, your current reality, by Jesus, you have an all-access pass to the waters of baptism yourself and to take someone else as their primary disciple. That's you. That is who you are. That is who we are as the church. Now, the question is, is, is that something you would genuinely want to do? Like, if that's something you would want to do, you'd want to lead somebody to Christ and be able to be the guy up there in the water baptizing. Is that something you would want to do? Raise your hand. All right, cool. That's almost everybody. Now, not a question of want to, a question of how to. Do you really feel like you have the confidence in God's Word, in what's theologically correct, in how to start a hard conversation or where to begin? Do you feel like you confidently know how to make that happen? Raise your hand. Okay, much less. See, friends, we don't have a want-to problem. We have a how-to problem. And that's what bless is. For those of you who say, I want to do this. This is why we need to be here for the next five weeks. Because if we can get to this place where we say, man, I want to and I, I need somebody to teach me how to. This is what we're going to do. And again, the first place where we begin to learn how to is we begin with prayer. So how do we live lives that through prayer become a blessing to other people and lead them into discipleship and lead them into the waters of baptism? The first thing is, is we have to make a plan. All right. When anything in life starts with you got to have a decent plan. And everything that's important to you, what do you do? You put it on a calendar. You make it happen. And so in regards to prayer, have a plan for it. Set a reminder. Like phones are so helpful for us who are forgetful. Set a, put a reminder in your phone. You got to commute. Man, maybe I'm talking to men. Maybe women are this way. I just don't know you as well as I know men. Sometimes, fellas, we can be really afraid of silence. I mean, when was the last time you just got in a car and didn't turn a radio on? When was the last time you didn't put a podcast on? When was the last time you just let there be some silence alone with your thoughts? It can be a scary place, I'll admit. But what if in the silence you turn to your Savior and you say, Jesus, I know there's more to life than this. Forgive me for getting caught up and going through the motions and help me live a life that is bigger than just my own life. that makes an impact on somebody else's, my kids, my wife, my family, the people I work with, people I, I'm around. Have a plan. Set aside a time and make it happen. Because at the end of the day, you're a part of Jesus' plan. Make him a part of yours. Next thing is we have to prepare. And when I'm talking about prepare here, again, all of this, the whole blessed strategy is bigger than you. It's doing this with somebody else in mind. And so it's beginning to pray when you do plan and when you do start to pray, it's beginning to pray, Jesus, prepare my heart to be able to pour your gospel through it. One of the things I've I've realized about every sort of revival and, and every sort of time when I've seen Jesus move the most through my life is when the purity of my heart is at its finest. A pure heart is something that Jesus loves to pour his love through. And so when, he, when, you, when we talk about prepare, that may mean Jesus, search me, know me, search my inmost thoughts and cleanse me. 
of these so I can be a vessel through which your love pours purely. And prepare their heart. Till the soil. If I'm going to get ready to plant seeds, like till it up. Make it ready. Make it fertile. Make it, make it ground where they're accepting and willing and wanting me to share the love of Jesus with them. And the last thing, if we want to be a blessing to people through prayer, is we're going to pray that God will reveal to you a place and a person. People and places. Here's how I would help you find these. Where you live, where you work, where you play. So who do I need to share the love of Christ with? Who do I need to, to, to bless and to be that person who I'm not just like inviting to church every now and then, but I'm actually making a disciple of where I live? What's your neighborhood like? Do you know your, ne- like your neighbors? Do you know them? If you don't, I don't think Jesus is pumped about that personally. Like, do you know their names? Now, some of you don't live in a neighborhood and you just live out in the middle of the woods somewhere. And so you maybe get a pass. <laughs> Next. Where you work. Now, for me personally, I, all of the people in my neighborhood, like my closest neighbors, they go to church. Most of them go to church here. i got to expand my thing out. For me, where I work, I'm pretty sure most of them are Christians. Sometimes I don't know. Um, but for me, the place, the place is where I play. All right? Some of you, your workplaces, it's full of non-Christians. I mean, that, that's where you, like, you need to get in there and, and, like, start being salt and light in that environment. Others of you, it's where you play. It's the softball team. It's, it's the baseball team. And that's, that's it for me. It's, it's the buddies that you have, that you hang out with, that you've been hanging out with since high school. It's those places where you go, man, those are the people where I need to, I need to lean in and point them to Jesus. And I know that's it for me. I'm coaching a little 7U baseball team, and I can't wait to build relationships with the people on the team. If you want to, you know, you ask, Pastor, how can I pray for you? Pray that God would use me to point the coaches and the players on that team into a relationship with Jesus. Like, my family, we're good for the most part. My stress level is okay for the most part. I got good elders at our church, so pray for that. And I'm going to be praying for you, too, for the people that you're going to encounter where you live, work, and play so that you can point them to Jesus. There's a really good resource if you're like, hey, I, I want to learn how to pray better. You know, I want to help you with that. A great resource is this uh, thing called prayercourse.org. Um, whether you're old, young, whatever, this is a great, great resource. Uh, prayercourse.org, great place to start. I think it will help you a lot. Last challenge I'll issue to you is this. And we talked about the neighborhood thing. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, I really do think he meant your actual neighbor, not just, you know, it's easier to skip over those people. And so here, here's my challenge. And you don't have the weather as excuse this next week. It's going to be beautiful. Um, get out and walk the neighborhood. Go walk. Don't take iPods and a phone and all those other types of things. Maybe a phone. You may need it. Maybe a stick. Dogs are wild. Um, depending on what neighborhood you live in, take more than that. Um, but go for a walk. And as you walk, pray for each house. If you know the name of the people that live in that house, pray for them by name. Just, just go for a walk. I mean, again, like, spouses, this is your challenge. Man. Just like, go for a walk. Don't talk, don't, you ain't got to talk about the kids. You ain't got to talk about this. Just go and walk. Pray out loud. Pray by yourself. Whatever. Just go and walk and pray. It's going to be beautiful outside. It'll be good for your, the endorphins in your brain to just get outdoors. Go walk and go pray. And listen, here's what will happen. And I can tell you this based on a first-hand testimony. What will happen as you begin walk and pray for your neighborhood? You know what God will do? God will start drawing them people out of their house. And then he's going to confront you. You're going to be praying for that house. And they're going to walk out of the door and you're going to go, Oh, crap, i got to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> and you will. And you'll, you'll begin to know their name. 
you'll begin to do letter S. You'll start listening, hearing their story. And then after a while, you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to invite them over for dinner at your house. You're going to say, hey, i got way too many hot dogs. Come over and eat hot dogs. And then you're going to figure out how I can serve them because you see their grass getting too long. And you go, man, you know what? I'm not even going to ask them. I'm just going to go cut their grass. And then you're going to have another chance to eat with them. And we sit down and eat with them. You're going to say, hey, I want to tell you something about me that you don't know yet. And you're going to walk them through how you came into a relationship with Jesus. And they're going to go, dang. Do you think that kind of thing could happen for me too? And then maybe, just maybe, I'm believing, you find yourself with them in the waters of baptism or on your knees in prayer. And you lead them to Jesus. Because, friend, that is what you were called to do from day one. And I'm sorry as a pastor, as a church leader, we let you as Christians get away from that. That we entertained you, that we taught you, and we didn't challenge you to live out the true calling that you actually have. And my prayer is that you would be okay, not okay with it like we're not okay with it. That you'd go out of here and you make the changes that I believe God wants to make in your life so it affects other people. And they're reconciled to Him. As we end today, you're going to take communion and as you do, you're going to have uh, a cracker that represents the broken body of Christ and juice represents his poured out blood. And I want you to know that this was done so that you could be reconciled to God. But part of that peace treaty, part of the peace that is now between you and God, the signed in his blood, is that you would go and be used by him to reconcile other people to him. I pray today that you begin in prayer asking him, to make your heart ready to make that happen. Let's pray. Jesus, move in our hearts today as we meet with you. Purify these hearts so that revival can take place in this city and use your people here at McDonough Christian Church to make that happen. In your name, amen.